Hello once again, ladies, gentlemen, fanatics of all ages. Welcome to the 2023 All-Star break. My name is Paul Boyer, joined as always by the Athletics' Matt Gelb. The Phillies have played 89 games. That's a little bit more than half. They're at the All-Star break in third place in the NL East, just barely on the outside of the NL wildcard picture looking in. Following losing the last two games of the Marlins series, what else is new there? Matt, it's been an interesting first half. There have been ups and downs, thankfully lately more ups than downs. We have an interesting team on our hands once again, looking as though they are not as good as the sum of their parts. And yet, here they are, seven games above 500, basically on the pace that we all kind of thought they'd be on for the end of the year. It's just the way they got there has been very strange. So let's bring you in. Matt, um, first of all, how was your, your trip to Florida and your trip home? Florida week was great. Uh, did a lot of driving. Trip home was interesting. I'm sure anyone who is listening and was trying to travel on Sunday, uh, a lot of bad weather everywhere, but I uh, made mm-hmm. it home. Yeah, everything's good. Uh, now it's the break where everyone in baseball gets to take a break except for the draft, which is the worst timed thing in baseball now. <laughs> I don't think I know anyone in the sport who is enjoying the fact that their all-star break is now consumed by uh the major league baseball amateur draft it's really stupid but yeah. uh the phillies drafted a kid whose name is aiden and that made me feel old yeah right they've, <laughs> they've... aiden 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 is now aiden with two thing. a's aiden with two a's yeah aiden with two a's you're right yes there's this and i'm looking now i realize that there have been two three aiden's no four aiden's who have made the majors. No, no, I'm sorry. These are all minor league players. They haven't made the majors yet. The Phillies have had an Aiden before. They draft, they had a, a Aiden Anderson. I would not have known who that is. Aiden Anderson. Anyway, yeah, Jack Jack Wilson's kid got picked in the draft. Yes, I was like, wait a minute. I was head. like, is Jack Wilson that old? I was like, hold on a second. Man. Didn't Jack Wilson play shortstop for the Pirates like two years ago? You know, we're getting like consecutive years now with Matt Holiday's kid, Carl Crawford's kid, Jack Wilson's kid, you know, all, all the ones that like you and I were in our, our, our baseball watching primes as kids growing yeah. up watching some of these names. And now their kids are getting drafted, not just like in the first round, but like top, you know, 10 in some cases, top 20, 25, like they're, they're pumping out some really uh, talented kids here. So good work to all of you. Keep we, all, the we all die. We all die. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, it's the All Star break. We're supposed to be taking we're supposed to be taking a little bit of a break from our normal tube saying and concern trolling, as as I believe we've been labeled. Because, like we said in the open, the Phillies are right about on pace for what we thought they'd be. You know, this is like a a mid to high eighties win pace when you've got forty eight of the first eighty nine in the win column. Sure, they're a long way back in the division, but that's because. The Braves have emerged as the best team in baseball, and there's likely no catching them. They have shown flashes of being a little bit more of, you know, a low 90s win team in June and early July. They still kind of stumble sometimes with the offense not giving enough support when the pitching uh, pulls its weight, which it really has been doing a lot 
over the last couple of months. So Matt, I, I think I think what I want to do to get us started here, because we have Nick Castellanos in the All-Star game. We have Craig Kimbrell in the All-Star game, which is I, not something that? I think, yeah, not, not something I think anybody saw coming at the start of this year. Let's take a second and think about who the first half MVP is for this team, because it's actually an interesting conversation. There's no real single clear-cut favorite, I think, for who you could award this to. There are a number of guys who've picked up slack at different points throughout the year, both offensively, even though that unit has struggled a little bit more, and on the pitching side, which is where we may find a couple more candidates. Matt, I'll, I'll let you have first crack here. As you look at this team entering the All-Star break, 48 and 41, um, sort of in the middle of the pack offensively, pitching staff's been great. Who would you put on your short list for first-half team MVP? Well, I think it has to be a pitcher. I really do. And even mm-hmm. though MVP is typically not an award that's given to a pitcher, for our purposes here, um, a specific team award, like I think that's okay to think more about pitchers. And yeah, sure. When you say it has to be a pitcher, like I don't, I don't know that anyone like sticks out, obviously. And I'll probably get panned for like two of my choices that stick out of my head. But the two guys that really stick out to me, and it's almost like a first half of the first half MVP and a second half of the first half MVP. <laughs> but like, okay. yeah, I think about Matt Strom and Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, and like, did, that sounds yeah. absolutely ridiculous because those guys aren't, you know, they're not MVPs like, you know, but I, I look back and, and I think this is going to be totally overlooked by the time it's overlooked now and it'll be overlooked by the, by the time we get to the end of the season. But what Matt Strom did for them in April uh, was like, Almost life-saving, I feel Absolutely like. Absolutely agree. Absolutely. Uh, because let's remember, like, Chris Sanchez has emerged of late as a, as a very competent fit star. He was hurt. He was not available to start the season. It wasn't as if they, like, chose to go with Strom uh, in the rotation over Sanchez because of effectiveness. Strom, Sanchez wasn't available. Nick Nelson was hurt. Uh, Bailey Falter was the fourth starter to begin the season. Mm-hmm. And... What Matt Strom did for the Phillies early on, I, I think, was huge because they did not have, uh, they did not have another option. Their other option was essentially near the end of spring. They were like, "Are we going to go with Mike Plasmeyer as like the fifth starter behind Bailey Falter?" And it was not something they wanted to do. Like, they did not want to do that. And I think they had thought more about some sort of bullpen game every fifth day to start the season. But then if you go down that road you're really overtaxing your bullpen at the very beginning of the season. And that is Mm. something you don't want to do. And as we've seen, the bullpen has been strong and consistent all year. And it's because they've been able to, uh, you know, pick and choose their spots with a lot of these guys. So I look at Strom and I see a guy who raised his hand and volunteered and said, I will start for you if you want me to. And I'm going to try to make, the most out of this and he really did <laughs> i mean like he in five starts in april at a 2-4-2 era uh the phillies went three and two in those games but the two games they lost they didn't score a single run so it wasn't as if it was matt strom's fault in those yeah, games right. and then you know really in may he transitioned into being a, a really like effective sort of middle reliever for them uh and and often pitched in games that they won um, you know, he's faded a little bit. I would say in June, there were a few more home runs and yeah, he's already pitched more innings than he pitched all of last year. So 
I look at him and having more of an effect earlier earlier in the first half. And then I look at Kimbrell, Paul, and I'm like, how often have we said, like, if they could just get, like, a lockdown, shutdown closer you don't even think twice about, it just everyone else can feel comfortable in their own role. It allows you to match up better in the seventh and eighth innings, even the sixth inning. Everybody falls into place. It just makes the bullpen better when you have certainty at the very, very back. Craig Kimbrell has given them that. Like, let's not overlook what his presence in the ninth inning has meant for the rest of the bullpen, not just for how the Phillies have you know, been able to shut down games in the ninth. I mean, like, he has made everyone else better in that bullpen because he has seized that ninth inning. And ever since those two games at L.A., a 108 ERA, 40 strikeouts, and five walks in 25 innings. And only two home I runs mean, on top of two that. Two home runs. Yep. And they were both home runs in, 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 in saves. Like they were home runs in, in like saves where they were ahead by more than one run. They were solo home runs. So <clears throat> I don't know. Like he's been he's been better than anyone could have expected. There was a little dip in the velocity, like near the end of June, early July, where you're kinda like, ah, hmm. But then it, it was back. Like his last two outings, the velocity was back to ninety six, ninety seven. Uh the curveball has been like I think key for him because I mean, he's landing it for he'll land it for a strike early in the count. You know he'll drop one in low and it's a strike, and now all of a sudden the hitter is thinking, oh oh no, like because now he can throw it for chase. Now he can throw the fastball elevated in the zone. Uh, when the curveball lands for a strike, just once in the at bat or once every other at bat, uh, that just makes him uh, really really hard to hit. And he's still a two pitch guy after all these years. It's those same two pitches, mm-hmm. and it has worked. So those are my two guys that stick out. Like I'd be willing. I think there's a good conversation to have here because, like you said, I mean they are, uh, they are where they are not because of like you know outstanding performances from a couple players. I mean it's been pretty spread out. I mean, I, I think you could make. I think that somebody could make a rational argument for first half MVP, MVP for like no short of like ten guys. I think, right? I think I don't know if it gets to ten. For me, but I'd like that your point is taken, and I agree with that. Because Andrew Vasquez doesn't get down ballot first half <laughs> MVP votes. You get <laughs> oh my god, we're we're gonna come to the end of the year, and Andrew Vasquez is gonna have an ERA of like point five. I'm just gonna have to be like, I guess he is the secret relief ace they all saw. After all, I I can't I can't understand. <laughs> um, look, I I am 110 percent in your corner with Strom, absolutely. I feel like what he did early in the season was just absolutely vital. Now, I don't know. I don't know what the implications are for how much he's exceeding last season's workload. I don't know what the second half is going to look like for him. Everybody's different. Hopefully he can hold up because he has that starters background and he has pitched more than 100 innings in a major league season before. It's been a couple of years, but he's done it. He's done it. Yeah. You just, you know, you, you hope he holds up is really what it comes down to. You've already exceeded last year's innings total. Uh, I think he's been on the IL each of the last seven seasons. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's coming. Maybe at the first sign of something, they IL him to give him a break. The good thing about having the bullpen that this team does right now and the way everybody's performing is you can feel a little bit better. You feel like you have some cushion for when you get blows like Alvarado needing to go back on the IL for the second time in a month because his elbow's still barking. It doesn't feel like the end of the world. Like he's the only reliever carrying you. And now you're like, well, now what are we going to do? 
it doesn't really feel like that. Like you, you worry a little bit about Jose's arm, obviously, like you want him healthy. He didn't quite seem right when he came back. The walks were, were coming back with a vengeance. And even though the Velo was there, and that's the thing. Yeah. That's why it was confusing, and he even said that. The velocity's been there. Yeah. Um, he was just having trouble, uh, I think, after outings. Like, it was just more sore than he, than normal, and it was harder. Yeah. You know, the day-to-day recovery was was harder than, than normal. So that's, yeah. that's concerning. Yeah. It is, it is. But you can play it safe now. You You have guys who are showing you things. You have Jeff Hoffman who's showing you things. You have Junior, Junior Marte, Marte who who can look amazing, not always, but he can look amazing. They're doing some things, you know. They just recalled Andrew Bellotti for the first time in what a month or five weeks, and yeah. this is a guy who was so pivotal to this team last year. You're bringing him in as as a reinforcement now, just because you can. Like, there's so many more options. So I agree that that. Um, getting back to the original point, Strom, absolutely. I, I I will hopefully remember what he did in the first half of this year for a long time because it was really important. Kimbrell, I like it. I I, I have no qualms with it. You, the, all the reasons you pointed out are great. He rediscovered something. The first outing where he started shoving, you know, 97, 98 regularly with the fastball, I remember thinking like, wait, where did this guy come from? What hyperbaric chamber was he sitting in for the last week that he emerged <laughs> like renewed and reinvigorated? It's incredible. And it's held up. Like you said, slight dip at the beginning of this month, but it's come back. It's, came back. It's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. I, I love that he made the all-star team again for the ninth time as a reliever. That's pretty incredible. Um, so he's been great. It's been one of the best pillow contracts this franchise has ever given. I would actually think, and I this is a bit of a mea culpa just because I was pulling my hair out about this guy for so long, wondering what the heck was going on. But the last, you know, five weeks for Taiwan Walker have just been outrageous. Mm. You know, we, we, we talk about how thin the rotation was at the start of the year and Walker, even though he was healthy, we mostly healthy played a part in that because he wasn't performing, even though he was actually in the rotation. Something seemed wrong. The walks were crazy. Splitter wasn't working quite the way we thought it was going to. In June, boy, he just took off. It's like he discovered a new gear. And I think I think what he was able to do, you know, rebounding, finding a way to push through whatever was, was ailing him um, earlier in the season, and be just a really important piece and pitch deeper into games can't overstate how great that's been no i mean seven weeks ago he did not get out of the first inning and he looked up and he had a six five three era okay and he's made nine starts since then the phillies are eight and one in those games and he's a two one three era in those nine starts he's down to 402 for the season which is like uh, again better than league average because this the the bar for league average starters has you know really been lowered and uh He's been right now. You look at the overall picture of his season, and he has been exactly what they signed him to be, right? I would think so. Yeah. It's another one of those strange things where if you break it down by month or week, things look a lot different than they are just on the surface with this team. You know, you think about the way they started and then how hot they were, you know, in the the latter half of June, especially into July. All of these season numbers for all of these guys look as though they're having just sort of mediocre seasons on the whole, but really what's buried in there are pockets of like greatness. It's funny because I'm, I'm looking at 
I'm looking at the season numbers for Walker and Wheeler. You know, they're separated by three hundredths of a point in ERA, but they are having pretty different seasons, right? You wouldn't say that Taiwan Walker has been outperforming Zach Wheeler, even given the ERA similarity. Um, but it gives you an idea of how this team requires like a magnifying glass, right? How you need to look a little bit deeper because Wheeler has been penalized by, you know, bad defense. I'm excited for Zach Wheeler to have an actual left fielder playing behind him. Oh my gosh. When he starts soon. Well, you know, Matt, I I, I think that's a, a nice natural segue um, away from MVP talk because we, we could give a nod to, you know, like Nick Castellanos, who is also Bryson in the All-Star Stott. game. Bryson Stott has really been nice. He He's a kind of unique hitter, Stott, in this season. I, I think we'll leave that for another time to really dig into him. Because I think what we want to think about now is what's on everybody's mind because it's July and in baseball season, you know what that means. It's time for trade talk and the Phillies are going to be a buyer. I think that's that's pretty easy to accept. There was maybe a time early in the year when they were under 500 and you're like, oh, what, what's this team going to do in July? They're, they're, they're going to be a buyer. They might not be a huge buyer. They might not empty the clip, but they're going to bring somebody in. Maybe two guys. Who knows? And the who knows part of that is the most intriguing part. Because, Matt, as we look across the league, we see an interesting little landscape of teams as those who are clearly out in front like Atlanta and Tampa Bay and secure in their playoff positioning. They're buyers. They're probably going to look to address whatever small weaknesses they currently possess at the moment. But there are far more often than that as you look across the, the different divisions. There are cases where you just don't know what some of these teams are going to do. Think about the rest of the AL East. Every team is at least five games over 500. Can you say that even though Boston is nine games back and in last place that they're going to sell? I don't think you can say that. I don't know, especially when the front office is, I wouldn't say fighting for their lives, but very much in a precarious position if they don't if they don't win this year. Right. And that's just one example. But you get to the clearer sellers like Kansas City and Oakland, who are so far out of it, they've basically been mathematically eliminated. And you're not really sure what's on those teams that could help you out, (laughs) which complicates matters a little bit more. And then you get into the other cases. Think about the White Sox, who had aspirations of competing, who have talent on their team, but nobody's really sure what direction they're going in. Is this the chance for them to really strip things down, do all of you know, Giolito and, and Cease and Lance Lynn, do they do they leave at this deadline? You have the Cardinals over in the NL who are experiencing something that they are clearly not used to. They're 11 and a half games out of first place, 14 games under 500. Similarly to the White Sox, have a lot of talent on their roster, but how much of it do they part with? Matt, I, we need to take a broad look at the trade landscape right now because the finer details haven't really come into focus yet. I'm sure you're not really getting many concrete leads as to where the Phillies in particular might be thinking in terms of like specific players. But let's look at it broadly. 10,000 foot view here. As we get set for trade talk, what does this team need to prioritize above all else? Who could be on the table? What sort of things should we set our expectations at as we look toward the August 1st trade deadline? Well, so I think the first question that we have to consider is how big a swing should they take, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like we, we started this podcast by saying they're kind of about where we thought they would be. They took an unusual path to get there. 
I think you do have to look at the schedule and say it is more favorable for the Phillies down the stretch. Uh, They are tied for the most road games played in the league at the break here. They actually played more road games before the All-Star break than they have in a season since 1973. It was really front-loaded. They took a lot of trips to the West Coast early on. They don't leave the Eastern time zone again until September 1st. Uh, They play almost all of August at home. Really favorable to the Phillies, I think. And I do think that has to factor into your calculus uh, in terms of how you're thinking about this team moving forward and projecting things out. So that's where I want to start, Paul, because like that, this this question, this first question is is going to determine who's on the table and what you're thinking about. Like, how big of a swing should they take at this deadline? It is interesting because you're not catching the Braves. We know that no. in the regular season. No, doesn't that doesn't that automatically make your swing have to be a little smaller? Well, a little bit. Yeah. But like, as you move, as you move this lever, right. Imagine, imagine you're looking at trade acquisitions as a slider, either in a video game or on a dial or something. And it's a setting that you can turn. And as you up this setting, what also changes in tune with that is what you have to give up. And I'm not just talking about players and the quality of players. There are things to consider at the major league level. Anytime you make a trade, really, but especially as you start thinking about potentially bigger acquisitions, is how you fit the rest of that major league team around that and who might be movable either in terms of position or in terms of the transaction. Now, where things get really interesting with this Phillies team is that they clearly have some holes that could be upgraded. I don't think anybody would look at this team and say, all right, yeah, powerhouse and waiting here. One of their big offensive issues right now is third base. You know, we we talk a lot about getting Bryce Harper out out to first base so that Kyle Schwarber can full-time DH. And maybe then you think about picking up a bat that way, but third base isn't really doing a ton right now. And in a normal year, you'd think, all right, well, yeah, maybe that's an opportunity to add something, but you're not moving Alec Bohm mid season, most likely, which complicates things. You're probably moving him to third base full time as Harper assumes first base and Schwarber goes to DH. So you have to ride with him the rest of the way, probably. Yep. And so those are the things you need to think about as as you as you consider trade pickups. You know, some people started to dream a little bit and going back to the Cardinals about, you know, would they part with Nolan Arenado? And first of all, no, I don't think so. But second of all, if you're if you're trading for Nolan Arenado. Do you, like, do you have to give Alec Boehm as part of that package? Would the Cardinals even accept that along with whatever else they might give because Alec Boehm doesn't fit on the roster after that? If Harper's playing for it, there are so many moving parts with this team, the Arenado fantasy that's not happening aside, that you need to consider as this team looks to make its moves. Now, I think maybe a little bit, unfortunately, and maybe a little bit anticlimactically, to get back to your question, the dial does need to stay low. This doesn't feel like an opportunity to cash a lot of big chips for something. Now, that being said, I would still love to see them be in the Otani bidding, of course, because that's that's mm. a unicorn. And if it, if he does get dealt, nobody knows what's going to happen with him. Um, but he's, you know, you, you have to put yourself in that conversation. If there's an opportunity, you have to. You have to. You just have to. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. We'll pretend that won't be happening. So then you have to think about, okay, the need is right-handed hitting 
outfielder, most likely. Now, that's a big assumption. We're assuming Harper can make first base work. It's not a given. We know he works hard. It's not a given. Let's say it works. There's not a ton of right-handed hitting outfielders necessarily that are going to be available, at least none that you could say, yes, that's a definitive upgrade. And especially now you have to think about, is it a definitive upgrade over playing Christian Pache in center field more with Brandon Marsh moving to left field? Probably. That's a new little wrinkle. That's my take. (laughs) Go ahead. Expand on that. Well, uh, yeah. And I think Pache is a a part-time player. Mm. I think that's how they've played him so far. And I think if he's anything more than that, I think he's going to get exposed. I think he could be a really nice little part-time player, um, but he hasn't faced righties really much for a reason. And yeah, He's totally fixed. I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, he is really good in center. Like I think that's pretty clear. And like they, everybody knows it. And they, you know, they played Brandon Marsh in left field on Sunday, and it's definitely their best outfield alignment defensively. Um, I think Paul, like if you're going to take a, if you decide you want to take a bigger swing, it's on a starting pitcher. Yes. And yeah, I don't know necessarily who that is. Is it Dylan Cease? Is it Corbin Burns? If the Brewers really do you know, decide they're going to sell. I don't, well, I, it's possible. I mean, that we saw what they did with the hater thing last yeah. year. They were, they, were, you know, they were sort of in it. They still sold off hater. Uh-huh. I think if you want to take a bigger swing, you do it on a starting pitcher because it helps you now. And it also helps you next year and beyond. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing you cash in bigger, you know, big chips for. Um, now, do they have the chips or do they have the pieces to, to cash in that, that, and, and it's a better package than another team might offer, say the Dodgers right. who are very much in need of a starting pitcher, uh, very much motivated to win. Now have a very deep farm system that they can cash in. Um, so I don't know the answer to that, but I, I look at it and I think that's, that's where I'm cashing. Cause you, 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 you're dead on about the fit. You know, the, both the short term and the long term in terms of position players. It's like if you go cash in your chips for a big time position player acquisition, um, that player needs to fit beyond 2023. Um, because if you're cashing in chips, it's not for a rental. So <laughs> when you're trying to figure out how the 2024 lineup is working, um, there's not a ton of flexibility right now. And yes, like third base is a is sort of a major pivot point, as is first base. Um mm-hmm. Because we don't know, like, maybe Bryce Harper is your left fielder next year. Maybe he's your first baseman. Maybe he's your DH. He's probably not your DH. Like, let's assume he's in the field somewhere. Left, right, first, wherever. Um, I think it's pretty clear that Castellanos is best served in right. He's not great out there, but that's where he should be. Maybe Bryce is left field next year. And some combination of Reese Hoskins or someone else is playing first base. I don't know. Or Bohm. I don't know. Um... So if we, if we say your biggest swing, if you do want to take a big swing, should be pitcher. Um, that's a spot where I would cash in chips. Johan Rojas is, a, is an interesting trade chip. I don't know that he gets you a, you know, a top caliber starting pitcher. I don't think he does, honestly. As the headliner. Yeah. No, I don't. I do think there's a lot of people who are interested in him. Like he's... Sure. He's made some swing changes that have really helped him. Uh he plays an elite, elite center field, um, a, a big-time center field. Uh, I, I, I saw, I've seen the clips of it, but I also saw it in person once, and it, and it wasn't even like he didn't even make highlight plays, the, the nine innings that I saw, but he just made 
really difficult plays, and he made them look quite easy, and it's it's real. So he's interesting, and right now he would be blocked if you believe in Brandon Marsh and or Christian Pache. Um, I think it's fair. Like, do, do you think Brandon Marsh is going to be like an above-average center fielder on a good team for a few years, right? I think what he's shown year over year uh, from his time, his brief time in 22 into this year. Yeah. He, he's shown that he could be a capable guy. I, I still think that, that in the bottom third of the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, play, I think, play against most sit, maybe some lefties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think their usage of him has been interesting. You know, we talked about this uh, in the last episode or two ago um, about how he kept being batted in the lower third of the order, even when they had all that trouble at the top and he still gets sat against, you know, a decent clip of lefties. Like what, like what do you really think about him? Like what really is your idea of Brandon Marsh's future on this franchise? I think there's, there's probably a little bit of tweaking of, you know, (laughs) of of ideas of what's going on there. I think he's a solid player on a contending team who bats in the bottom third of your lineup will do some maddening things that make you want to bang your head on the desk, but in the end as a productive player. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. you know as as funny as that characterization is you kind of need players like that to make a major league roster work you know everybody can't be a superstar you can't you know expect to build a a, a dodgers super team every year um and expect to have that work out it's just not how it goes sometimes you just need to find the capable major leaguers right now brandon marsh looks like a capable major leaguer which is great i wouldn't say he's untouchable or anything like that if the opportunity presented itself but he's probably somebody we can expect to stick around all right so this is all just getting to me saying that rojas is a piece yes rojas is a guy that's gonna be you're gonna hear his name you're gonna hear simon muziotti's name who i think you know he he's he's not a headliner like he's a solid piece though i think that that could interest someone Mm -hmm. um i think now if you're getting into if you want to go take a big swing then you start talking about mick abel and and Griff McGarry, but probably Mick Abel. And that'll depend on how the Phillies feel about his future. I think it's very clear that like Mick Abel is quite talented, but that he needs time. And that's okay. Like he's tw- he's about to turn 22. He hasn't had the sort of command they hoped that he would have. But let's not forget that he was drafted from high school in Oregon during 2020. He didn't get to pitch professionally in 2020 because of COVID. Yeah. Um, he is very young in the developmental scale and he is in double a and he's one of the youngest players in double a and it's because we juxtapose him with andrew painter who before the injury you know was soaring uh as someone who is even younger and drafted after abel and it, and it makes you wonder oh why is McAbel taking so long he's not um and so i think their calculus has to be okay well is McAbel? when will McAbel be a rotation piece for us in the majors and that's a difficult question to answer right now, I think. And it's not, it's not, it's okay. I mean, like if Mick Abel needs a full season in AAA next year, like that's not unusual. Like that wouldn't be like he would be behind, but that does affect, you know, how you're thinking about this team's current competitive cycle, right? So he's a guy that if you do take a big swing, you probably have to, you probably have to trade him. And that that's a decision they would have to make. I would consider him right now, the most valuable, reasonable trade chip in this organization because painter is hurt and he wasn't going to be traded anyway, most likely, but he's definitely not going anywhere this summer. Not that anybody was thinking about that anyway, but he's not, he's not, 
McGarry is closer to the major leagues, and I think depending on who you ask, has a little bit better feel for his stuff than Abel. Um, probably a reliever. He, yeah, his ceiling is lower. He's probably a reliever. Uh huh. And he could be a really good reliever. He could be. He could He's be. Probably um, a reliever. But it's you know obviously innings are more valuable. This is you know part of the crux of the whole Aaron Nola argument. Um, and then you, the position players you were talking about, none of those guys is is you know, a a top three major league first division regular hitter. Like top, I think there's only two guys right now that aren't getting traded, and it's Painter and Crawford. Yeah, yes, right. Crawford would be eligible to be traded because it's his first full pro year after his I draft. I just don't think he's getting moved yet. They're like, and, and he's young. You, you play that out. Yeah, yeah, he's he's putting it together. Like, he's got great numbers, but he's still hitting the ball into the ground a lot. I think they're, they're tapping into something, but they're probably a little too early to, to either A, give up on him that way, or B, um, give up the project of trying to you know build him up into something that's a little more regular line drives and and all of that correct so i, I agree but, with but the fact that the fact that everyone everyone else is is tradable doesn't mean that they get traded it's because there has right. to be there right. has to be something something worth trading your best prospects for exactly and that's where i and that's where like that's why i think that first question is like how big a swing do you want to take is is the biggest question to be thinking about right now exactly so we need we need a couple of things to come together here first we need more games to get played. We need the rest of the league to figure out, okay, we're either buying or we're selling because that affects the Phillies both ways. The seller population affects the players that are going to be available. The buyer population affects the Phillies competition in those trades. You know, it's not like they're just going in a vacuum and saying, all right, we will offer you a B and C for your player. A no, they have to make sure that the person or the team that is trying to trade that player away likes the players that the Phillies are offering. That's kind of the whole deal. It needs to be a two-way street. Um, And we just don't know that. We don't know that yet. I I think the starting pitching thing is going to be a need for more teams than right-handed hitting outfielder. Oh, no question. Yes. Demand will far outweigh supply in the the rotation market. Yes. Way, Way more teams are going to be after that, which is going to raise the price. Which is going to be an interesting. Bit and of outside of like outside of like Cease, Giolito, Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, like who do we think is going to be available? Like in terms of like decent caliber starting pitching, is there is there someone I'm like I'm missing someone obvious? So I wouldn't call him obvious, but there is somebody. I was actually talking about this with uh, Michael Bauman, Fangraphs writers, one one of my good friends, uh, has been on the show once last year, friend of the show. Uh, pitcher on the Pirates by the name of Rich Hill, Mr. Dick Mountain himself. Uh, <laughs> but he's I, not I think... a high caliber starting pitcher. I'm talking no. about, like, you know, top of the rotation slash, you know, maybe mid rotation. Well, if that's what we're talking about, then it's it's way harder to find out who that is. That's Shohei Otani if he gets dealt. If we're oh, thinking yeah. about more, <laughs> you know, and every time happen. every time we hit that one, it's just like, all right, we're running into bricks there. But that might be more along the lines of what we're thinking about here. Somebody who is not going to blow you away, either figuratively or literally, but who could pitch innings. And this is a team that right now is looking kind of with their starting pitching depth. You know, if, if heaven forbid somebody else goes down for an extended period of time in the rotation, there's not the a depth lot options there. right now. No, it's not. It's not great. It's not great. I would advocate um, trading for Rich Hill just because they would acquire someone uh, who is older than me. Yeah, yeah, me too. Right, that would make us feel that would make us feel a little bit better about things. I think you have to right now, like if from where I stand right now, Paul, here at the at the All Star break. Yeah, if I had to rank 
if I'm deciding that I'm not, I'm going to take a moderate to low swing. Okay. I think that right-handed hitting corner out left fielder with a little pop is my first priority. I think that a veteranish fifth starter type ish, Rich Hill ish kind of guy is number two, and then maybe like another righty reliever is number three. Now, the caveat that I want to build into this is that uh, I, I need to see how the next few weeks go for both Sir Anthony Dominguez and Jose Alvarado. Mm. You know that that yeah. that could that could move bullpen up my uh, wish list if those two guys or one of those guys has either a setback or uh, needs more time or there's just more questions about their situation. Um, I think a rental bat, and yeah, you're right. It's not obvious who that would be. And that that's that's the hard part. It's one thing to identify a need. It's another to actually find the person to fill that need. Uh, I, I really do think that would be the best thing, the most impactful thing at the most reasonable price for them to acquire in the next three weeks is a righty bat to play left field and hit a few home runs. Yeah. There aren't a lot of options. There aren't a lot of options, but But somebody could make the argument to me. Somebody could make a good argument to me that another starting pitcher, even if it's just a back end kind of guy is a bigger need is something that, that they need more. I I could, I'll buy that argument. I would listen to that. And I think you could make a pretty good argument there. You know, then you send Chris Sanchez back to the minors and he's just there. And then heaven forbid somebody else gets hurt, and then all of a sudden now Sanchez is back in your rotation, and then you know starter X, your acquisition is also in your rotation. So I could understand, I could buy the argument that that's a bigger need. You need to protect yourself in the rotation. Right. I mean, and what's the thing we always say? You may not need a fifth starter once you get in the playoffs, but you need a fifth starter to get to the playoffs. And right now, you know that that fifth starter role is is being admirably handled by Chris Sanchez, but. Maybe there's a glass slipper situation there. I I don't know. Either way, they could use a little more help. So I think just to summarize here, we wanted to set the table. Trade talk is going to happen now that we're at the all-star break. Again, Nick Castellanos, Craig Kimbrell, congratulations to them. It's fantastic that both of them uh, have rebounded after their their respective years last year to to do this. Now that we've reached the all-star break, now that we know the Phillies are a, a contending team, They've solidified themselves as a contending team. I think short of losing out through the end of July, they would they would be a buyer of some kind. It would take an absolute catastrophe for them to just give up that plan. Um, We need to think about it and we need to look at the way the rest of the league starts playing. Like you mentioned, these next couple of weeks will be huge, not just for those external teams, but for Alvarado and Dominguez, because having them come back, you could think of them. I, I don't know how much I like this line of thinking, but you could think of them as, you know, oh, don't deadline say acquisitions. There. Oh, don't say <laughs> Okay. It. All right. All right. All right. No, I just, I hate when, I hate when executives do that. I know. I know. I hate it. I hate it. It is. No, it is. It absolutely is. Um, But, they, you know, their, their health is, is very much a consideration here. Um, Even if they're not back by the end of the trade deadline, they're going to need a roster spot and somebody would have to get bumped. You know, that's another thing to think about with imports. A lot to consider. It's a very complex deadline, more complex maybe than deadlines past. And the Phillies are going to be involved. To what extent? We don't quite know yet. They have a couple of needs on their wish list, and they'll be players. Who they give up also remains to be seen. We've got a lot to figure out in the next couple of weeks, Matt. And and I, I think it should be, 
I think it should be something we enjoy. I think it should be a fun thing to track. Hopefully it's not <laughs> hopefully it's not too frustrating as we watch it. Okay, you're trying to talk yourself into that. I am. It should you know, be something like, we enjoy. We went this entire podcast without talking about Noah's song. I can't wait to talk about it next time. Wow. Yeah, we broke the streak. I feel like we've had a Noah song met well, I guess this counts. A Noah song mentioned every single episode. Um yeah, we'll talk about Noah's song later because he's also intriguing. He's also eligible to be traded, I think, as a Rule 5 guy, but he wouldn't be, right? He is. Yeah, he's yeah. eligible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Yeah. Anyway, the Phillies are at the All-Star break. They are 48 and 41. Uh, home run derby is tonight. We're recording this on Monday morning. Um, McAble, Justin Crawford both appeared in the Futures game yesterday. We didn't mention that. McAble struck out too, looked good. Crawford had a, a hit robbed from him. He watched more of the Futures game than I did. Yeah, well, you know. It's nice to see, just another brief aside before we finish wrapping up here, it's nice to see proof that what the Phillies are doing in the minor leagues is kind of working. And this goes for every year, right? It's nice to see guys that the league thinks, and I know everybody has to be represented, it's nice to see guys that the league thinks are talented enough to be part of something they are calling the future. You know what I mean? It's just just nice. It just feels nice. I like seeing the, uh, prospects who I don't normally see get a chance to play on a major league field. The futures game should be Monday afternoon every year. Leading into I don't know Derby. why it was Sunday at the same time as no, it wasn't games. Sunday. It was Saturday night. Oh, right. Yeah. Saturday. Yeah. I'm sorry. Saturday. Which like, is even worse. <laughs> it, it was really hard to find on broadcast and just, uh, you know, it was on that's, Peacock. that's a different argument. Anyway, back to, back to wrapping this up. Thanks as always. Matt Gelb of the athletic. Look, we, we're gonna be we're gonna be digging in real good on this trade deadline stuff because there's a number of different ways the Phillies can go and there's a lot of things to consider and it's ripe for discussion. You can dream big if you want to. Just try and be a little bit reasonable about what might happen. You might get Rich Hill instead of Shohei Otani, and you might need to be okay with that. <laughs> so so brace yourselves. Matt and I will be back with you next week. Things may be a little bit clearer, but we'll only have a couple more games in between now and then as the Phillies pick up in the second half. So again, for Matt, I am Paul. Thanks as always for being with us. Enjoy the All-Star break, and we'll catch you again next week.